Section 8 of The Colonel's Dream. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Colonel's Dream by Charles Chestnut. Section 8. Chapter 8. When the Colonel set out next morning for a walk down the main street, he had just breakfasted on broiled brook trout, fresh laid eggs, hot muffins and coffee, and was feeling at peace with all mankind. He was alone, having left Phil in charge of the hotel housekeeper. He had gone only a short distance when he reached a door around which several men were lounging, and from which came the sound of voices and loud laughter. Stopping, he looked with some curiosity into the door, over which there was a faded sign to indicate that it was the office of a justice of the peace, a pleasing collocation of words to those who could divorce it from any technical significance. Justice, peace, the seed and the flower of civilization. An unwashed, dingy-faced young negro, clothed in rags unspeakably vile, which scarcely concealed his nakedness, was standing in the midst of a group of white men toward whom he threw now and then a shallow and shifty glance. The air was heavy with the odor of stale tobacco, and the floor dotted with discarded portions of the weed. A white man stood beside a desk and was addressing the audience. "'Now, gentlemen, here's lot number three. A likely young nigger who answers to the name of Sam Brown. Not much to look at, but we'll make a good field hand.' if looked after right and kept away from liquor. Used to workin', when in the chain gang, where he's been off and on since he was ten years old. A of fine and costs, thirty-seven dollars and a half. A musical nigger, too, who plays the banjo and sings just like a, like a blackbird. What am I bid for this prime lot? The negro threw a dull glance around the crowd with an air of detachment, which seemed to say that he was not at all interested in the proceedings. The colonel viewed the scene with something more than curious interest. The fellow looked like an habitual criminal, or at least like a confirmed loafer. This must be one of the idle and worthless blacks with so many of whom the South was afflicted. This was doubtless the method provided by law for dealing with them. "'One year,' answered a voice. Nine months.' said a second. Six months, came a third bid, from a tall man with a buggy whip under his arm. Are you all through, gentlemen? Six months' labor for thirty-seven fifty is mighty cheap, and you know the law allows you to keep the labor up to the mark. Are you all done? Sold to Mr. Turner for Mr. Fetters for six months. The prisoner's dull face showed some signs of apprehension when the name of his purchaser was pronounced, and he shambled away uneasily under the constable's vigilant eye. "'The case of the state against Bud Johnson is next in order. Bring in the prisoner.' The constable brought in the prisoner, handcuffed, and placed him in front of the justice's desk, where he remained standing. He was a short, powerfully built negro, seemingly of pure blood, with a well-rounded head, not unduly low in the brow, and quite broad between the ears. Under different circumstances his countenance might have been pleasing. At present, 
it was set in an expression of angry defiance. He had walked with a slight limp. There were several contusions upon his face, and upon entering the room he had thrown a defiant glance around him, which had not quailed even before the stern eye of the tall man Turner, who, as the agent of the absent fetters, had bid on Sam Brown. His face then hardened into the blank expression of one who stands in a hostile presence. "'Bud Johnson,' said the Justice, "'you are charged with escaping from the service into which you were sold "'to pay the fine and costs on a charge of vagrancy. "'What do you plead, guilty or not guilty?' "'The prisoner maintained a sullen silence. "'I'll enter a plea of not guilty.' The record of this court shows that you were convicted of vagrancy on December 26, and sold to Mr. Fetters for four months to pay your fine and costs. The four months won't be up for a week. Mr. Turner may be sworn. Turner swore to Bud's escape and his pursuit. Haynes testified to his capture. "'Have you anything to say?' asked the Justice. "'What's the use of my saying anything?' muttered the Negro. It won't make no difference. I didn't do nothing in the first place to be fined for, and run away cause they didn't have no right to keep me there. Guilty. Twenty-five dollars in costs. You are also charged with resisting the officer who made the arrest. Guilty or not guilty? Since you don't speak, I'll enter a plea of not guilty. Mr. Haynes may be sworn. Haynes swore that the prisoner had resisted arrest and had only been captured by the display of a loaded revolver. The prisoner was convicted and fined twenty-five dollars and costs for this second offense. The third charge, for disorderly conduct in prison, was quickly disposed of, and a fine of twenty-five dollars and costs levied. "'You may consider yourself lucky,' said the magistrate, "'that Mr. Haynes didn't prefer a most serious charge against you. Many a nigger has gone to the gallows for less.' And now, gentlemen, I want to clean this case up right here. How much time is offered for the fine and costs of the prisoner Bud Johnson, amounting to $75 fine and $33.54 costs? You've heard the evidence, and you see the nigger. If there ain't much competition for his services and the time is a long one, he'll have his own stubbornness and deviltry to thank for it. He's strong and healthy and able to do good work for anyone that can manage him. There was no immediate response. Turner walked forward and viewed the prisoner from head to foot with a coldly sneering look. "'Well, bud,' he said, "'I reckon we'll have to try it again. I have never yet allowed a nigger to get the better of me, and moreover, I never will. I'll bid eighteen months, squire, and that's all he's worth, with his keep.' There was no competition, and the prisoner was knocked down to Turner for fetters for eighteen months. "'Lock him up till I'm ready to go, Bill,' said Turner to the constable. "'And just leave the irons on him. I'll fetch him back next time I come to town.' The unconscious brutality of the proceeding grated harshly upon the colonel's nerves. Delinquents of some kind these men must be who were thus dealt with but he had lived away from the south so long that so sudden an introduction to some of its customs came with something of a shock he had remembered the pleasant things and these but vaguely since his thoughts and his interests had been elsewhere 
and in the sifting process of a healthy memory he had forgotten the disagreeable things altogether he had found the pleasant things still in existence faded but still fragrant fresh from a land of labor unions and of struggle for wealth and power of strivings first for equality with those above and this attained for a point of vantage to look down upon former equals he had found in old peter only the day before a touching loyalty to a family from which he could no longer expect anything in return fresh from a land of women's clubs and women's claims he had reveled last night in the charming domestic life of the old south so perfectly preserved in a quiet household things southern as he had already reflected lived long and died hard and these things which he saw now in the clear light of day were also of the south and singularly suggestive of other things southern which he had supposed outlawed and discarded long ago now mr haines bring in the next lot said the squire the constable led out an old colored man clad in a quaint assortment of tattered garments whom the colonel did not for a moment recognize not having from where he stood a full view of the prisoner's face gentlemen i now call your attention to lot number four left over from before the war not much for looks but respectful and obedient and accustomed for some time past to eat very little can be made useful in many ways can feed the chickens take care of the children or would make a good scarecrow what am i bid gentlemen for old peter french the amount due to coat is twenty-four dollars and a half. There was some laughter at the squire's facetiousness. Turner, who had bid on the young and strong men, turned away unconcernedly. "'You'd have made a good auctioneer, squire,' said the one-armed man. "'Thank you, Mr. Pearsall. How much am I offered for this bargain?' "'He'd be dear at any price,' said one. "'It's a great risk,' observed a second. Ten years.' said a third you're taking big chances mr bennett said another he'll die in five and you'll have to bear him i withdraw the bid said mr bennett promptly two years said another the colonel was broiling over with indignation his interest in the fate of the other prisoners had been merely abstract in old peter's case it assumed a personal aspect he forced himself into the room and to the front may i ask the meaning of this proceeding he demanded well sir replied the justice i don't know who you are or what right you have to interfere but this is the sale of a vagrant nigger with no visible means of support perhaps since you're interested you'd like to bid on him are you from the north likely yes i thought sir that you looked like a northern man that being so doubtless you'd like something on the uncle tom order old peter's fine is twenty dollars and the cost four dollars and a half the prisoner's time is sold to whoever pays his fine and allows him the shortest time to work it out when his time's up he goes free and what has old peter done to deserve a fine of twenty dollars more money than he perhaps has ever had at any one time deed it is mars henry deed it is exclaimed peter fervently peter has not been able replied the magistrate to show this court that he has regular employment or means of support 
and he was therefore tried and convicted yesterday evening of vagrancy under our state law. The fine is intended to discourage laziness and to promote industry. Do you want a bid, sir? I'm offered two years, gentlemen, for old Peter French. Does anybody wish to make it less? I'll pay the fine, said the colonel. Let him go. I beg your pardon, sir, but that wouldn't fulfill the requirements of the law. He'd be subject to arrest again immediately. Somebody must take the responsibility for his keep. I'll look after him, said the colonel shortly. In order to keep the docket straight, said the justice, I should want to note your bid. How long shall I say? Say what you like, said the colonel, drawing out his pocketbook. You don't care to bid, Mr. Turner? asked the justice. Not by a damn sight, replied Turner, with native elegance. I buy niggers to work, not to bury. I would draw my bid in favor of the gentleman, said the two-year bidder. Thank you, said the colonel. Remember, sir, said the justice to the colonel, that you are responsible for his keep as well as entitled to his labor for the period of your bid. How long shall I make it? As long as you please, said the colonel impatiently. Sold, said the justice, bringing down his gavel. For life. To what name, sir? French. Henry French. There was some manifestation of interest in the crowd, and the colonel was stared at with undisguised curiosity as he paid the fine and costs, which included two dollars for two meals in the guardhouse, and walked away with his purchase, a purchase which his father had made upon terms not very different fifty years before. "'One of the old Frenches, I reckon,' said a bystander. "'Come back on a visit.' "'Yes,' said another. "'Old aristocrats round here. "'Well, they ought to take care of their old niggers. "'They got all the good out of them when they were young. "'But they're not running things now.' "'An hour later, the colonel, "'driving leisurely about the outskirts of the town "'and seeking to connect his memories more closely "'with the scenes around him, "'met a buggy in which sat the man Turner. "'After the buggy, tied behind one another to a rope, "'like a coffle of slaves,' marched the three negroes whose time he had bought at the constable's sale. Among them, of course, was the young man who had been called Bud Johnson. The colonel observed that this negro's face, when turned toward the white man in front of him, expressed a fierce hatred, as of some wild thing of the woods, which, finding itself trapped and betrayed, would go to any length to injure its captor. Turner passed the colonel with no sign of recognition or greeting. But Johnson evidently recognized the friendly gentleman who had interfered in Peter's case. He threw toward the colonel a look which resembled an appeal, but it was involuntary, and lasted but a moment. And when the prisoner became conscious of it, and realized its uselessness, it faded into the former expression. What the man's story was the colonel did not know, nor what were his deserts. But the events of the day had furnished food for reflection— Evidently Clarendon needed new light and leading. Men, even black men, with something to live for and with work at living wages, would scarcely prefer an enforced servitude in ropes and chains. And the punishment had scarcely seemed to fit the crime. He had observed no great zeal for work among the white people since he came to town. 
such work as he had seen done was mostly performed by negroes if idleness were a crime the negroes surely had no monopoly of it end of section eight recording by james k white chula vista